0: Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. So today we are thinking about what it is uh, to live our lives in God and and to live a life where the Spirit is at work in our lives. And uh, we come to this uh, interesting story of Samuel. Now, uh, I think if we're really going to understand what's happening here with Samuel, I almost need to do a little bit of a lead-up to how we get to Samuel, who is one of the very first prophets... In the history of Israel, you, you have to remember that in the scriptures you get this this story that is a story of development, right? That first you get Abraham called. But it, it, it's not done there, because then you you need Isaac, and, and then Isaac has Jacob, who becomes Israel, the father of the 12 tribes. And then you have 12 tribes, but the, the young son, uh, Joseph, ends up in Egypt, and then they end up in Egypt, and then they end up being all slaves in Egypt. And then Moses comes on the scene, and then Moses leads them out of captivity in Egypt, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they end up with Joshua going into the promised land and the time of the judges begins, right? This story, sometimes, friends, sometimes we read the Bible and we read it like it's a destination, like everything is done. Here it is, stand on this, and you got it all. But, but the story of the Scriptures itself is a journey, it's a it's a process of development. God is continually doing a new thing. When we get to Samuel, God's not done because God's gonna move on and, and go ahead and give the people kings even against God's own better judgment. There are gonna be kings and then there's gonna be exile and then there's gonna be return and then there's gonna be Jesus and then there's gonna be Paul and then there's gonna be churches and then there's gonna be us. And, and it just is a story that is intended to be lived out because God is always moving and leading us toward uh, destination, but it's always a journey and a process. When you come to the Scriptures, the Scriptures say, welcome, let's go on a journey together. So it's interesting to me in some ways that when when we read this passage, it says uh, that the Word of God was rare in this time and You know, you've got to stop and ask, what does that mean? Well, it probably doesn't mean that God said, okay, I'm done with you for now. I mean, God isn't a God who says, hey, I'll be with you for a while, and then then I'm going to disappear. It's a God who is with us always, which means somehow the people weren't receiving the word of God. The word of God was rare because these people somehow were closed off to it. And here's what I think. They have been through all this story, right? They've, They've been in captivity. They've been wandering in the wilderness. Now they've finally come to occupy the promised land, and they're like, "Woo, we've arrived!" <laughs> right? They're like people do in churches at times. Well, we're comfortable right where we are. We've made it. We're right where we want to be. We uh, we have what we like. We're we're just gonna stay right here. And all the while, God's saying, I got something more for you. You know, it's like it says in Luke, those who have given much, have been given much, well, from them, much will be required. You know, it's like, I've given you the promised land. I promised this. See, I kept my promise. Now, I got more for you. And they're like, "Now we're pretty comfy. Doesn't that ever sound familiar? You know, you get to that point where you're like, I think this this is my destination. You go on, God. I like it here just fine. I think when this text is saying to us the word of God was rare, it was like people are like, no, we're comfy, na-na-na-na-na. We don't really want to hear what comes next, oh God. And then we come to Samuel. This prophet that God is raising up. Now, you remember how Samuel comes to be here in this sanctuary. This is before the kings. This is before the temple in Jerusalem. So the holy place of Israel is in Shiloh. And the Ark of the Covenant, the place where the the two tablets, remember Moses gets two tablets, they're stuck in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God among the people. So remember, Moses will go into the tent to meet with God where the Ark of the Covenant is. So this place in Shiloh where Eli is serving is the holy of the holies for the people of God at this point in time. And Hannah goes to this very sacred place, and she says, I'm barren, O God. Oh, please, 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 O God. If you will just give me a child, I will dedicate that child to you, to your service. Now, wow, you know what? If I'm begging and begging and begging for a child, the last thing I'm going to do when I finally have a child is give the child up. Sounds like Mary. But here's the thing. This is exactly what happens. Once Samuel is born and once he's to an age where, you know, he doesn't need mama taking care of him anymore, she goes to Eli the priest and says, here is my son dedicated to you for the rest of his life. And that is how Samuel is serving in the temple with this old, almost blind high priest, Eli. And so here it is... He is in service to the Lord. And the text tells us he did not yet know the Lord. Samuel is living his life with the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy thing of Israel, in the temple with the high priest, and he does not yet know the Lord. You see, there's a difference. Now, now I've, in the past, I've put it this way. There's a difference uh, to being, between being obedient and being committed to your faith. He's obedient to the things that he's being taught. He's obedient to the things that he's learning. He's obedient in his mind to do what he is supposed to do, but he hasn't yet had an experience of God in his life that sets his heart on fire. He hasn't yet come to that point of the spirit at work in his life where he's, he's active and energetic and he knows God and he loves God. I, I You know... There are a lot of churches today that do not know the Lord. There are a lot of churches today that know the rules. There are a lot of churches that know you got to teach this, you got to say this, you got to do this. And yet there are people who aren't living their lives in the spirit where you're seeing the fruit of the spirit in their lives. They know the rules. They know what they think is is how you're supposed to be obedient and we're serving the Lord, but they don't know the God. We know experientially who says, no, this isn't the destination. I need you to grow. I need you to go. There's more I have for you out front. Don't just stay right here. We need to know the Lord with our hearts and our spirits. And that means being open to what God might do. Uh, uh, Many of you know that uh, I teach seminarians Methodist studies. I teach them all about uh, everything there is to know, well, not everything, but a lot there is to know about Methodism. And one of the most interesting things to me is that most people who uh, know anything about John Wesley think that his Aldersgate experience, when his heart is strangely warmed, is his conversion experience. And conversion usually means, you know, I didn't know Jesus, now I know Jesus. I've now confessed Jesus. But that wasn't what was going on with Wesley at all. Do you remember that Wesley was a preacher's kid? His daddy was uh, the parish priest at Epworth Parish. So he was raised in the church and his mother was a very spiritual woman and Susanna had this thing where every week she would spend an hour with each child one-on-one reading the Bible, praying together, helping them to know God. And so he had been raised in a very uh, Christian environment. And yet Wesley knew God intellectually. He knew what the Church of England taught. He knew what the beliefs were. He knew with his mind but his heart had never experienced the living God. And then he goes to Aldersgate Street on May 24, 1738. He's hearing someone reading from something weird. I won't even tell you, but he's just listening to this other person and he feels his heart strangely warm. He has an experience of the living God in his midst. It becomes something more than just obedience and obligation. Now he becomes committed in a way where he begins to do things, friends, that will break the rules of the church. We act like Wesley was like like Mr. Perfect Guy, he was the church guy. No, he was doing things where the Church of England was saying, stop doing that. You're not supposed to go out to people who aren't in the church and preach to them. You're not supposed to send people off to America to spread the faith in Jesus Christ. You're supposed to stay right here and just do what we tell you to do. And, And for Wesley, they were going through the motions. That church had all the rules, the obedience, but they didn't have the experience of God at work. And this is always what happens when the Spirit is at work in our lives, when we're open, when we're not just bound by certain rules and things that, well, I've always been told that you do this, or I know I've been told you always, and I'm going to fight you to the death for it. That becomes a problem. Because God is always in this process of leading us to do a new thing. And without John Wesley breaking the rules and doing new things, you and I would not even be here today. We'd be somewhere, I hope, but we wouldn't be here. So when this text says that Samuel doesn't yet know the Lord, this is the moment when he is called of God to into a relationship with God where he experiences God and a call doesn't mean you're necessarily called to be a minister and stand up here like me and run your mouth. It might be that you're called to be a Christian who knows and loves the Lord. God is always calling. And here is Samuel. He doesn't he doesn't get this. He's like Eli, you call me. Now Eli is old. And there's no doubt that, you know, he probably had to get up once or twice during the night. And because he can't see, you older people know what I'm talking about. And because he can't see, he has to call Samuel, come and help me take care of my business. Yeah. So when Samuel hears Samuel, he's sure it's Eli because Eli's always calling him. But finally, Eli is holy enough, spiritual enough to say, no, this is God calling you, go back. And what does he tell him to say? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now that, you know, if we want to live our life in God, if we want to go on this journey, if we want to see what it is God has in store for us, what God wants us to do, then clearly the first thing we have to do is listen. We live in a society today where I think listening has gone out the window. I mean, not only do we have noise all the time, right? We got our earbuds or our headphones. We got our TV on. We got the radio in the car. We are listening to our podcast. We're, we just want noise around us all the time. But if you, even if you sit quietly... It's not quiet. You hear the refrigerator hum and the air conditioning going and the lawnmower across the street. There is constant noise, and the worst noise of all is the noise inside our own heads. You know, if I tell my students just be still for five minutes, we're just going to breathe for five minutes, they can't do it because their minds are going 100. My God, I want, I'm hungry, I need to, I don't like this, I don't want to. We don't know how to listen. But it's not just that it's sort of this cultural thing not to listen. We've also stopped listening because so many people in our society have closed their minds. So many people have gotten comfortable with, you know, the box that I talk about, with the way uh, that they are supposed to be obedient, that they can't hear God. They don't listen to God. They don't do where God might, might ask them to do something new and different. We close our minds. And, and you know, in our world today, the media and social media is set up so we can hear just what we want to hear. Uh, it, it's called confirmation bias, that uh, you look for the stuff that tells you what you already think. And then you're like, see? I'm right, and so then we argue about it, and we fight about it. We need to learn to listen. Uh, Probably most of us in here were captivated the past week by the story of the submersible that no one could find and had uh, done a dive to go and see the Titanic wreckage. Yesterday, there was a story about a man named Jay Bloom and his 20-year-old son, Sean. Now, Jay Bloom is a billionaire financier in Las Vegas, and he knew Stockton Rush, the owner of the company and the driver of the submersible. And Stockton kept saying to him, hey, you and your son, your son loves Titanic. You guys ought to get on board. You ought to come on on this journey. Well, when Stockton, when Stockton, when Jay Bloom told his son Sean, his son Sean went on the internet and started reading some stuff and said, Dad, I don't know that this is safe. And then Dad Jay started reading some stuff and said, yeah, I have some questions too. And he says, Jay Bloom says, that Stockton Rush, who met him in person, who also emailed with him, and the emails are public now, was so convinced of the safety. He said, it's safer than being in a helicopter. It's safer than driving a car. It's safer to go in the submersible than it is to walk across the street. He was so convinced of the safety of this craft that he could not listen To anyone or anything that might have told him, hey, you need to make sure there's not a crack in this hole. Because those who are doing research are like uh, Jay Bloom said, number one, they bolt you in and you have no way to get out on your own. Number two, they're driving it with a Game Boy Nintendo controller. Number three, this technology for the hull has never been tested at these depths. And when, uh, when they said, no, we don't want to go, Stockton Rush said, oh, I'll cut down $100,000 off each of your tickets. And they said, no, we'll maybe some other time, we're not going. And then the Pakistani businessman and his son got those seats. Now, the difference here between the one who doesn't listen to anything, who is convinced of what he knows, and those who are open to listening shows the difference between being so closed that it's to our own demise or being open to seeing what might be true and doing and acting accordingly. You see, this is our life in God. Sometimes we get so set in, oh, well, this is what I've always learned, I've got to hold fast to this, where over here Jesus is saying, come, I've got something new for you, follow me, we're still on a journey, we haven't arrived, there's so much more, and I need you, I need you to go, I need you to do, I need you to see what's up ahead, because this is the way that leads to life. Friends, it all begins with this deep kind of listening where our heart is a heart of a servant, where our heart is open to God, where our our heart is willing to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. When I listen, I might just do something that I hadn't planned to do because we're on a journey. and God is still leading us. And God is still at work. Be like Samuel. Just say, here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.